Come on, somebody. Somebody praise forever the King of Kings. Man, what an incredible song. I know we're in our homes. We are not gathered together uh, in person today as the church, but we are scattered. And that's the beauty of the church. The church is not the building. The building just houses the church in the same way that your house houses your family. Your family is not the house. It is just where your family gathers together. And even when your family is not together in the house and they are out, they are still family. They're just scattered at that point in time. And that is what we're doing today as we celebrate this story of Easter. Man, what an incredible song that really tells the whole story of the gospel. The story of Jesus, the story of who he is, the story of what he's done. And now today, because of that, we can celebrate. And so even though we're scattered today, even though we're scattered as the church, we can still come together and praise and, and really lift up our voices and receive from him. You know, I did a message back in 2018 and you got some time to go and watch those messages now. Don't just, you know, Netflix and chill. You can go back and sermon and chill, all right? But in 2018, I did a message in our three to five series called Scattered as Seed. And the whole point was, you know, we can be scattered like seed, like we're just scattered, or we can be scattered as seed. And there's a huge difference in that phrase. When we're scattered as seed, what that means is, yes, we're scattered, but we are being planted. And when we are being planted and we are making things happen, that's the beauty of the church is even though the church right now isn't gathered together, we're scattered, but we're still the church. We still have the power of the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel inside each and every one of us. And that's what we're gonna celebrate today. And so as we now get prepared to hear the word, as we now get prepared for God to speak to us, won't you pray with me and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for loving us. God, thank you that what is going on in our world today has not caught you by surprise. God, we can take great comfort in knowing that in the same way you orchestrated events thousands of years ago, you are still orchestrating them today. God, you're still working in the midst of everything that is going on. And God, I pray as we open up your word today that you would help us to see that. You would help us to see and to know that you're still God and that you're still good. And that even though we can't see it, but you're working. You are working in ways that are going to be for our good. I can only imagine this Easter story as people 2,000 years ago as they thought you were gonna do one thing, but then you did a whole nother thing. I can only imagine the hopelessness that people had on Friday and Saturday. But God, then Sunday came. Sunday came and reversed everything. And now today, because of that, because of Jesus coming back from the dead, because of Easter, we can celebrate. Even though we can't see what you're doing, we know that one day it will all make sense. And so as we open your word today, God, I pray that you would speak to us. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say you could be seated if you were standing, but if you were already seated, hey, you're already in the best position, all right? Make sure you got your Bible, though. We're gonna be in Acts chapter two, all right? Acts chapter two is our main text. We've been preaching through the book of Romans uh, for the better part of almost two years now, but we're taking a break from that for this Easter. We're gonna be in Acts chapter two. We'll jump right back in to Romans next weekend, so I wanna highly encourage you, especially if you're new to our church today. Man, we want you to come back, and I know it's just virtually right 
right now, but you can still get connected to our church. And in fact, what's amazing is before anybody ever visits one of our locations, we know that the vast majority of them check out our church online because it, it's a real easy way to kind of check out the church to see what we're all about. And so if you're checking us out today, man, we're so excited that you're here and we want you back next weekend. We're going to jump right back in to our series in the book of Romans. But today we're going to look in this series, Acts, or this message in Acts chapter two, the story of the resurrection. And, you know, as we've gone through this, really these last several weeks now, in some ways it feels like it's been longer than weeks. I mean, you know, this whole shelter in place and quarantine thing that we got going on. One of the things that has happened is I have learned a lot of new words. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I love words and, and, and it's kind of interesting to me what different words catch on and the different phrases that people use. And one of the phrases that we're all using right now that was probably not in our vocabulary at all uh, just a month ago or two months ago is the phrase social distancing. I have said that phrase more than I ever can think that I've ever said it before. And to be honest with you, it's a phrase that I'm honestly tired of saying uh, because it's not something that I use all the time. I'm not saying the word is not important. Obviously, that's why we're not meeting together. It is important to practice social distancing. But it's one of those words that, that just now everybody is saying that we weren't even saying before. An another word that everybody is saying, uh, I've said it uh, quite a bit, is unprecedented. I mean, almost every pastor or church friend that I know just looking up on what they're doing and how they're communicating and, you know, our professionals and politicians and everybody that's communicating, using this word unprecedented. And these really are unprecedented times, but it's a word that we use now every day that we probably weren't using that often. Another phrase that, that has really, you know, become very important to us over the last several weeks is this phrase, flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. You know, everything that we're doing as a society right now, all the drastic measures that we've taken to practice social distancing, to practice not gathering together in large groups, is all because we want to flatten this curve. And the idea of it is, is there's a graph, right? And there's a projection of how many people are going to get infected, how many people are going to unfortunately die. And, and all the things that we're doing is to flatten that, to bring that down. Well, that's a phrase, again, that we've never really used very much. I mean, maybe you used it because your pants didn't fit too well and you wanted to flatten the curves, all right? Or, or you know, your stomach, you got curves, all right? Maybe that's how you used that phrase before, but now it's taken on a whole new meaning. If you weren't laughing at that, by the way, in your house, come on, laugh so loud so that your neighbors can hear you, all right? But this whole phrase now, flatten the curve, has taken on a whole new meaning to us because it's literally about life and death. I mean, it literally has to deal with the actions that we're taking as a community to flatten the curve, to bring down the effect of this virus in our life. And as I was thinking about that phrase, flatten the curve, something really occurred to me. What occurred to me was about the story of Easter. You know, the whole idea of flatten the curve is we're doing drastic things. We're taking drastic actions to have hopefully drastic effects. And it made me think about how God took drastic action, how God did something unprecedented, how God did what he did in Christ to flatten the curve of death, 
So today, that's what I want to talk to you about. In fact, the title of my message today is called Flatten the Curve of Death. Again, it's something that we're all aware of now. And I want us to go back, not just dealing with the last two weeks or the last two months, but the last 2,000 years and see what God did to flatten the curve. So if you've got a Bible, give them over to me in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to look at a few verses in, in chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 2 for a little bit. And then we'll come back to Acts chapter 2 in verses 37 through 39. But let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says this. This is Peter speaking. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Let's stop and chat there for a second. So this is Peter. He's preaching his very first sermon. This is now the time of Pentecost, which is after the resurrection. And so this crazy thing erupts, and you can go back and read this in chapter two, and all these people show up because they were in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit blows up. I mean, just this incredible move of God, and all these people are interested in what's happening because the Holy Spirit is falling, and all these people are, are wondering what in the world is going on. So so Peter stands up and he tells them about Jesus. Now, there's some specific things in these texts that I want to point out. First, he says, Jesus of Nazareth. He's a man. Now, we, and I've said this phrase a lot over the last few months, and I'll probably continue to say it over the last next few years, but we were in Israel uh, last November, and we got to travel around to different places, and Nazareth is north of Jerusalem. We actually went to the town where Jesus grew up. And so this Jesus, he's of Nazareth. And that's a lot of times how you would identify people back then is they would either take on their family name or where they were from. And so he was from a place and he was an actual man. That's so important to understand because when we talk about Jesus, we talk about Easter, we talk about the gospel. You need to understand we're not talking about fairy tales. We're not talking about mythical creatures. We are talking about a real person who really lived in a real place in a real period of time. So Jesus of Nazareth was a man. And that's what's crazy when you think about this story, because he wasn't just a man, even though he was fully man, but he was also God. And so Peter says that, yes, he was a man. Yes, he was a place, but he was attested by God and his mighty works and miracles and signs. And what that means is the, the phrase there, attested, means to demonstrate or display. And so what's, what's unique about Jesus is, yes, he was a man. Yes, he was from a place. Yes, he was from a period of time. But there's something unique about him. And what's unique about him is he is God in the flesh. Now, again, before you turn off and go watch something else, follow me here. How do we know that? How do we know that he was actually not just a man, but he was a God man? He was God in the flesh. Well, Peter says how we know that is because God attested or demonstrated or displayed mighty works, mighty powers, miracles, signs. So God was demonstrating that this man, Jesus, wasn't just a normal man. 
You know, another story that comes to my mind, and you can read this later in John chapter three, a guy by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime. And he says this in John chapter three, in the beginning part of the chapter, verse one and two, he comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, we know that you're sent from God because no normal human being could do all the things that you're doing unless God was with him. So Nicodemus, who at this point in time was skeptical, he wasn't a believer, but he couldn't deny all the miracles and mighty works that Jesus was doing. And so when we look back on this now, what we need to understand that one of the primary reasons why Jesus did miracles, it wasn't just to heal the people that he was healing. Yes, that was important, but that was secondary. What I mean by that is this, and this is so important, especially in this age where we're talking about healing, we're talking about health a lot. All this is very, you know, in the forefront of our minds and we pray for healing all the time and that is good and right to do. But what we need to understand that the primary reason as to why Jesus healed people wasn't just to heal those people, but it was to demonstrate that he had the power to do so. He had the power to do so. And what Peter is saying here is God was demonstrating that this man was God, that that this man had unique special abilities way more than any other normal human being. And so the, the miracles, the signs, the works of God, the mighty works of God that Peter says demonstrated or attested to the fact that Jesus was more than just a man. He was more than just a man. Again, that's important. Because what we have to remember today is when we pray for that, we need to understand that God's primary purpose, God's primary purpose in all of life, even in this season, is for people to know that Jesus is God, for people to know that Jesus is Lord. And so anytime we're praying or asking God to heal something or bless us or do something in our life, we need to understand that the primary purpose for doing that is for people to know that unless God did that, we were sunk, we were dead, we were done. And so we, we can read the story or we can dismiss, you know, oh, I don't believe Jesus is this or I don't believe Jesus is that, but you can't deny You can't deny the fact that history records, even outside the Bible, that this Jesus was a unique person because God attested, displayed, demonstrated that by all the miracles and mighty works that he did. Now he goes on, look at the next verse, verse 23. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now let's have a chat about this. Two parts here that's so important to understand. Again, if you've been around our church, you know that things that are apparent contradictions in the human mind aren't with God. And so right here, Peter lets us in on how the sovereignty of God or the predetermined plan and will of God and human choice fit together. Again, we've talked about this a lot around here. One doesn't cancel out the other, but most times people will land on one side or the other that either God predetermined it or we chose it and it couldn't be both. But here Peter says, it's both. And so if I were to ask you, which one is it? You know, if you've been a part of revolution, the answer is, yeah, you can say it. Yes, yes, it's both. He says, this Jesus was delivered up. Now don't miss this, by the definitive or definite foreknowledge and plan of God. 
Let me, let me just read you a couple of the definitions of this word. This word here, definite, means to be determined, to be or become definitely decided and delineated in outcome or nature. What I want you to understand is God planned this. In fact, the Bible says before the foundation of the world, God had set this in motion, God had planned it. And so much so that it was like it had already happened. And so Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But then Peter says, but you killed him. You did this. Now, this is what's so important to understand. God's sovereignty does not cancel out human responsibility. God's sovereignty doesn't cancel out human responsibility. In fact, here's what's crazy, and we can't understand this because we're not gone, but God executes his plan, not in spite of human choices, but actually through human choices. So he executes his plan through human choices. And here's why I'm stressing this, because we need to know in this season, now more than ever, that God's in control, that God's in charge. See, when everything in our life has been upended, when everything in our life is, is no longer normal, I mean, I was thinking about this today as I was driving in to preach the sermon. There's a, a ramp that I, I use all the time to get onto the interstate to drive to the church building, but it's been closed for really the better part of this week because they're doing some work. And, and just out of habit, I drive out of my house and I get onto the on-ramp and I get on the interstate and I come here, but it's been closed. And I've literally, every time I've taken the same route that I see the sign, oh, I got to turn around and go. And so when something's a disruption to our life, it's jarring. And I'm, I'm kind of, you know, just use an example. Like that's just like my routine to work being changed and it messes with me. But every routine in our life right now has been changed, has been upended, doing school from home, trying to still do work, right? If we still have a job, trying to still go, like everything has changed. Everything has turned upside down. And it's so important for us to remember that during this time, that God is still in sovereign. He's still in control. He's still working his plan. No choice that we make can thwart his plan, even if our choices are sinful. That's what's crazy. God used the sinful choices of these people to kill the son of God. But God in his plan was working through those choices. That's what's so crazy about Jesus and the story of Jesus. And it, and it doesn't just apply to this time on the cross. It doesn't just apply to this act. It applies to the entire life of Jesus. Because see, in Micah chapter five, you can go back and read that at another time, but in Micah chapter five, verse one and two, it says that the savior, the ruler, will come out of Bethlehem. And so that was a prophecy that was made. And here you have Mary, who is now pregnant with the son of God, being from Nazareth, her and Joseph. God has to get them to Bethlehem to fulfill the promise to fulfill the prophecy. How does he do it? Well, a lot of us would think, oh, God would just show up in a dream like he did with Joseph, like he did with Mary. No, that's not how God does it. God does it through an evil empire of the Romans. You go back and read in Luke chapter two, 
In Luke chapter two, it tells us that at that time, there's a decree to take a census. And they had to go back to their, 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 the land of their family. Well, Joseph was in the lineage of David, so he had to go back to Bethlehem. So I want you to see this. God used an oppressive foreign government to execute his plan to get the Savior to Bethlehem. Now, did God have to do it that way? No. But why did he do it that way? Here's why. I think he did it that way to show that he's above all governments. He's above all powers. He's above all principalities. He's above everything. And so God leads the most powerful nation on the planet at that time to call for a census to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. That's the story. So nothing, nothing that has happened has happened outside of the plan and foreknowledge of God. And that's what the story of Easter is all about. The story of Easter is all about God executing his plan. And here's what's crazy. His plan was to execute his son. Why? Because we needed a substitute. We were so sinful. We needed someone perfect to trade in their righteousness, to cancel out our sin. But that's not all the story. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 24. I love this phrase. God raised him up. You killed him, but God raised him up. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death. I love that phrase. Loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised him up. Don't, don't forget the title of the message and what we're talking about. We're talking about flattening the curve. Flattening the curve of death requires drastic action. So God enacts a plan before we ever sinned of drastic action to send his son to die through the choices of evil men so that he could raise him up. So that he could raise him up. And this is what I love, this phrase. Not only does God raise him up, but he says he loosened the pains of death. He loosened them. The word there, loosen, means to, in effect, set free, to reverse an action, to release from condi uh, condition or circumstance, to eliminate, dare I say, to flatten the pains of death. Why? Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, here's what's so crazy. And this is why the gospel, even to this day, doesn't make sense to people because God beats death by dying. God beats death by dying. And this is where everybody was so confused on Friday. Everybody was so confused on Saturday because they couldn't fathom the idea that Jesus, who was God, there was people who were like, this guy's gotta be from God. They couldn't fathom the idea that he would die, much less die, but die at the hands of Roman oppressors, right? Crucified at the approval and pushing of his own people, the Jewish people. No one could fathom at that time that that was God's plan. But don't you know that on Sunday, when they see the empty tomb, 
And, and again, I want you to understand, I've seen it. I have seen where the stone is rolled away and there's no body in there. There's no, don't miss that. There's no body in there. And so this whole plan was to show that God was gonna beat death by dying. He was gonna flatten the curve of death by dying. He was gonna loosen the pains of death by take, don't miss this, by taking on the sting of death. He was gonna take it on himself. And then once that happened, I love this. Death had to let him go. He didn't have any power over him anymore. It was not possible for death to hold him anymore. Why is that so important? Because once Jesus had paid the price, once he died, death lost all of its power. Just imagine that if, if you were arrested for some crime and you had to serve your time, you had to serve two years time for whatever crime that you committed. Once you serve that time on the first day of the third year, you're done. It now no longer has any power over you and you can walk free out of that sentence, out of that punishment because you've paid for it. You've paid for the punishment and now the state or whatever happened, whatever you know, judge had power over you, now no longer has power over you because the price has been paid. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. Jesus beat it because he paid the price. And then once he paid the price, it couldn't hold him anymore. And here's what's so amazing. It's not just that Jesus flattened the curve of death by dying. It's now, because he did that, we, we can now flatten the power of death over our life. And we can now live in the power that Jesus purchased through the resurrection. I'm gonna show you what I mean by that, but before I do, I wanna give you a point that kind of frames the whole Easter story. Let me, let me read it to you. It's actually a quote from a rather famous uh, 17th century priest and poet named George Herbert. Here's what he said, and I love this picture. He said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. Let me say that again. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. See, what Jesus did is he took on death. He took the sting of death. He reversed the power of death. He paid the price. Death can't hold him anymore. And now since he did that, what he did now applies to us. And now since that's true, then death no longer has power over us if we are in him. And this is what I got to tell you why I'm so excited about Easter Man, can I be honest, over the last like two or three weeks, like I was good the first week, you know, kind of going through this and, you know, but, but as you get into it, two, three, three, four weeks now that we're into this, or earlier this week, man, I was really wrestling and struggling because just the idea, just the reality was setting in of what we're living in right now, how everything has been so upended. And then as I started studying this message on Wednesday, something in my heart shifted. Something in my heart changed, and it was because of Easter. Easter changed my outlook on my current circumstance. Easter changed my outlook right now. 
Because we're all scared right now about the effects of COVID-19. But let me tell you something better. Let me ask you something. What is the power that it has over you? It's the power that you might die. I'm not saying that's not scary, but here's what Easter has to do with our current circumstances. If Jesus beat death and rose again, and we're in Christ, it is now taken the power of death away. It's no longer an executioner. What is it? It's a gardener. Now think about this. This is what's crazy. You know, when you're dead, they put you in the ground. They put Jesus in a tomb. And that is normally the sign of death, unless you're a seed. Because see, when you put a tulip, tulip bulb in the ground, you know what you're going to get? It's not death. You're going to get life because it's going to grow forth a tulip. When you put an acorn in the ground, you know what you're going to get? It's not death. It's life. You're going to get a beautiful oak tree. And when you put Jesus in the ground, you know what you're going to get? Not death. You're going to get life eternally. And now, since that's true, death is no longer our adversary. Death, now listen, death doesn't just mark the end of something. It marks the beginning of something. It doesn't just mark the end of our life. It marks the beginning of our new life in Christ. And so when we really stop and think about the current circumstance that we're in and the fear that's produced in us by the reality that, yes, we will die, what the gospel does, what Easter does, is that helps us reframe the whole thing and say, death, you're no longer my executioner. You're my gardener. You're not killing me. You're planting me. Because of Christ now, God is going to grow my life eternally. Look at Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two, this is what I want you to understand. I got it here on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews chapter two, verse 10. It says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, listen to this, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That word their founder, it's the Greek word archegos. It's arche means beginning, ghost means to lead or arche ago. And so what it means is Jesus was the beginning leader. He was the first one. And the reason why that's so important is because back in Old Testament times, and particularly just in battles in, in general, we see this in David and Goliath, when the two battles would come out, when David and Goliath fought, if David beat Goliath, then it was victory for everybody else. If Goliath beat David, it was victory for his team. So when David goes out and beats Goliath, he is the archegos. He leads first. And his victory is now applied to the rest of the army. And so what Hebrews is saying here, what Peter is saying here, what the Bible is saying here, what I'm saying here is Jesus is not only our founder, but he's our champion. He went first and he defeated death. Now look at verse 14 and 15. He says, since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Listen, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Verse 15, this is how it applies to you and me. And deliver, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He took on flesh and he died so that he might defeat, go first, lead out, and defeat the one who had the power of death. That is the, the devil to deliver us 
who fear, through fear of lifelong slavery because of death, he delivered us. And that's the gospel. And that's what I want us to understand. And so the reason why my whole attitude changed this week is because we're, we're, we were heading into Easter. The reason why my whole mindset shifted in this current season that we're in is because what is the worst that can happen to me? The worst that can happen to me is, is I die. But according to the gospel, that's an upgrade. According to the gospel, death isn't the end. It doesn't have the last word. God, God plants me through that process because what happened to Jesus when he was raised again, is gonna happen to us. And I wanna show you practically how this works. One of, one of my, the pastors that I really respect and have for a long time is a guy by the name of Tony Evans. He's a pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Oak Cliff Bible Church, and he's been a faithful preacher for decades. Well, the, the end of last year, his wife died and they had the funeral at the beginning of this year. And his son, Jonathan, got up to preach at his mother's funeral. It's at the church, thousands of people there. And you can go watch this clip online. And Jonathan was, was really wrestling with the fact that God didn't heal his mother. His mother was in her early 70s and, and she passed away. And so he was really wrestling. And then he, he says this in the funeral. He says that God spoke to him and God said something to him. And I'm gonna read you what he said that God impressed upon him because it gets at the nature practically of what I'm talking about. Here's what Jonathan said. He said that God said to him, number one, you don't understand the nature of my victory because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't answered or already answered your prayer anyway because victory was already given to your mom. You don't understand because of the victory that I have given you. Now listen to this. There was always only two answers to your prayer. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me because of what I've already done for you. The two answers to your prayer are yes and yes because victory belongs to Jesus. See, what Jonathan understood in that moment was that even though God didn't heal his mother when he asked him to, he healed his mother. That even though his mother died, his mother was alive because of the gospel, because of the hope that we have in Jesus. And so he applies this in a real practical way. And this is why I'm saying this today. Death is no longer an executioner who holds power over you. Death is now a gardener who plants you that God is going to make grow into an eternal life in him. Because if you're in Christ then what happened to Christ will happen to us. The victory that he won on the cross, in the grave, by rising again, now we live in that faith. This is why we're not afraid. This is why we're not crippled by fear anymore. That's what's so important about understanding Easter and understanding the gospel. We no longer have to fear death. Because death isn't our executioner. Death is just our gardener. You know, there's a song that we sang a few weeks ago that's so incredible called Graves into Gardens. 
God turned a grave into a garden. He beat it from the inside. And if we believe that, then we can live in that power. You know, coming out of Easter, our staff team has been talking and something that that I want us to really do and kind of a campaign that I want to come out of Easter with. You know, a lot of times we do campaigns before Easter, but since everything was changed up this year and we've been praying and thinking about this message and I really felt like God impressed upon us to now let's do a campaign after Easter in light of Easter. And so I want us to do something as a church and we're just calling it the We Believe campaign. And I want you to stay up with us on social media and stuff. We're still working this stuff out and, and just have kind of a rough idea of how we want to communicate this. But now coming out of Easter, I want us to have a rock solid belief that since Easter is real, since Jesus came back from the dead, we believe that the same thing will happen to us. And so we're not driven by fear. We're not driven by doubt. We're driven by faith in our belief. And so I want us to start a mantra, a campaign, if you will, coming out of Easter saying, we believe, we believe we're looking into road signs and billboards. I don't know what all it's going to look like yet, but I want to tell the world around us, the communities that we're in, we believe because Jesus rose from the dead. We believe, we believe, we believe. Church, again, this is our time. This is our moment to stand up into a world that is fearful and not judge them, but love them and say to them, we believe. And the verse we're gonna use is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. You can go read that later. But what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church is because Jesus rose from the dead, he's gonna raise us from the dead. And so we believe and so we speak. Church, it's time for us to start speaking our faith. It's time for us to start speaking the words we believe Instead of speaking so much doubt and so much fear and adding to all the crazy stuff that we're seeing in the media, it is time for the church to say, listen, if Easter is true, then death is an upgrade. If Easter is true, either we're going to live or we're going to live. Either we're going to be healed or we're going to be healed. Either it's going to work out or it's going to work out. And that is the reality of what we're dealing with when we talk about Jesus. And here's what I I believe. Here's what I believe. I believe if you get that, if you understand that, it'll change your life. Because look at how the crowd responds back to Peter. Go back to Acts chapter 2 now. The crowd responds to Peter in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. He says, now that they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What's interesting, that word there, cut to the heart, means to pierce through. To pierce through. See, Jesus' side was pierced through. And when you get that and you understand that, it'll pierce through the hardness of your own heart. And said to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? See, once they heard the message, they said, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you're listening today and I talked about that We Believe campaign, I talked about Easter, I talked about all this, but you're saying, well, I have fear because I don't believe that. Well, if you hear the message today and you're being pierced through 
You're, you're, you're now understanding the reality of what Jesus did for you, then that means God is drawing you to himself and you can respond today and repent. The word repent means to turn. It means you're turning from yourself to God for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you think there's no way that God can save me, you need to understand something. Christ's death was once and for all. You cannot out his grace. His death was once and for all. That includes you. And if you'll respond in faith today, repent. This says be baptized. We're going to do baptisms in May, but we don't know when we're going to gather again. But whenever we do, you better believe we're going to have some baptisms. And I pray that we're going to baptize some people that got saved today. That said today on Easter, I'm repented and I turned to Christ and he took away my fear of death. And look at verse 39. I love this phrase. We're done for the promise is for you. It's for you and it's for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord, our God calls to himself. Man, today, this is for you. And you may have your children watching. It's for your children too. You know, maybe you're a young child today and you, you now first understand the good news. The Easter is so much more than bunny rabbits and Easter eggs. It's about Jesus, who was a man, who proved it, that he was God by all the miracles, all the mighty works, and by coming back from the dead. And he did it to loosen the fear of death over your life. To loosen, to free you, to flatten the fear of death in your life. So it's for you. It's for your children. I love this. For all those who are far off. I mean, you may feel like you're far off from God. You know what? You're a great candidate because you're not too far. You're not too far. If you're not already dead physically, then you still have a chance to be made alive spiritually. You're not too far off. Why? Because God is calling all people to himself. You, your children, and all who are far off. So if that's you today, today's your day to turn, to repent, to trust Christ, and to be saved, and to be freed from the fear of death, to understand that death is now not your executioner, but your gardener, because Jesus flattened it. But there may be some of you here today and you've already trusted Christ. And if you were honest, like I was being honest earlier, this has really rocked you because maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you are sick. Maybe, I mean, you're just scared. And I said a few weeks ago, this can be a blessing in our life if we allow it to let us wake up. And so for those of you that have already trusted Christ, I want to encourage you with Easter. Because of Easter, what do you have to fear? He now took it. He now took the fear of death for those who were held by it, lifelong slavery. So he frees us. So I pray today it's reminded you of what you believe. And then coming out of this week, I pray that you would force that, push that belief into your heart. Whenever your fear comes, says, no, my faith, I believe, I believe, I believe. We believe. The death is just an upgrade. So what can you do to me? Where is your sting? Where is your victory? I'm in Christ.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, that you, before the foundation of the world was laid, you had a plan. And that you were executing that plan. And the plan was to execute your son. God, and you did it through human choices because you're sovereign over everything. But you did it the way that you did it because in order for Jesus to beat death, he had to pay the price of death because once he paid the price, the devil had no more power. He was set free. And now his freedom can come to us. And so God, I pray if there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus, who has not been set free by the power of the gospel, pray right now you'd save them. Everybody just take a moment here. And wherever you're at, you know, when we pray, we close our eyes because it blocks out distraction. We bow our heads because we look at our hearts. And if you've never trusted Christ before, if you've never come to a place in your life where you have placed your faith in him, where you've repented, where you've turned to him, today can be that day. And you can be freed from your fear of death because he paid the price and he rose again. And you can receive by faith what he purchased and now you can be freed. And now you can understand that even though you die yet, shall you live. So if you want to trust Christ for the first time, right there where you are, you can pray with me. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I trust Christ. I repent. I turn from my sin and turn to you. Would you forgive me? Cleanse me. Make me new. Thank you so much for loving me. Now, for those of you who just prayed that, we want to know. Again, celebrate with you. And so you can reach out to us. You can let us know that you trusted Christ. But then for those of you that you've already trusted Christ, but if, again, if you were honest, it's been a struggle. I want to remind you of what you believe. We believe that Christ rose from the dead. And if that's true, and it is, then what do we have to fear? We can walk through every day full of faith, not full of fear. Because death is now our gardener. Jesus flattened the curve. And if that's true, we can live every day in faith and not be held captive in slavery anymore by any fears. Because if God is working, if God worked out Easter, he can work this out too. God is still on his throne. He's still good. And he's executing his plan. And he's using this in a way maybe to bring you back to your faith. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for Easter. Thank you so much for the story of the gospel. There is nothing like it. There is nothing like the gospel where God became flesh, lived among us, perfect, sinless, but yet died a sinner's death 
paid the payment that we owed and then came back to life again on the third day, proving that he was God and that the check cleared. So God, help us to live today in that faith. We believe in Jesus and it's in his name we pray, amen.